0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, October twenty 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. The financial crisis and subsequent sluggish economy calls for strong medicine, but few in Congress will admit it. The answer to preventing future financial crises is pure capitalism. That's from John Allison, president of the Cato Institute and author of the new book, The Financial Crisis
1: and the Free Market Cure. One of the main reasons I wrote the book was to uh, prove that there's been a myth created about the cause of the recent financial crisis. And the myth is is that the banking industry was deregulated combined with greed on, on Wall Street created the financial crisis. In fact, the banking industry was not deregulated. There was a massive increase in regulation during the Bush administration. The Patriot Act, uh, the Privacy Act, Sarbanes-Oxley, And then secondly, while there's always been plenty of greed on Wall Street, there's not one thread of evidence there was any more greed than usual. There was not a greed epidemic. In fact, the financial crisis was caused by government policy. And the government policy really goes back a long period of time, but the two primary culprits are the Federal Reserve – which at the end of Alan Greenspan's tenure, uh, he wanted to be a hero, and we were having a minor correction in the early 2000s, so he printed a bunch of money, uh, which incented a huge overconsumption. Because when the Fed prints money and people don't realize what's going on, we think we're wealthier than we are, and so we overconsume. Governments increase their spending, and we're dealing with that, but also individuals increase their spending. The overconsumption on the individual side largely got focus in the housing market, because of Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, the giant government-sponsored enterprises that would never exist in a free market, that when they failed, owed $5 trillion and had $2 trillion in subprime mortgages. This was a long-term policy trying to raise home ownership above the natural market rate, but it, in effect, encouraged a lot of people to buy homes they couldn't afford, and we got some very negative consequences from that.
0: In many ways, the regulations that you're talking about depended on each other to promote the interests of people who uh, benefited from those regulations. And when you start stacking them up on top of one another, uh, they sort of strengthen.
1: That's a great point. What what you had is kind of a... A vicious negative cycle in that the Federal Reserve, uh, trying to keep us from having corrections, which actually is a natural part of the market, uh, resources need to be reallocated. And what it did then was create a lot of inflation in the housing market. The inflation in the housing market kept loan losses in the housing from being very high, which made which fooled people about the risk in the housing market until the party ended. So it was the Fed working with the Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae uh, that kind of together created this. Is terrific destruction of wealth and 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 employment.
0: One of the myths that you point out in your book is that banks were getting less risky after some legislation that came along in the 90s uh, because they were allowed to make more diverse investments. What's the truth there?
1: What happened is that the banking industry in theory, was allowed to make more diverse investments. But two things were going on. Because the Fed was incenting this massive bubble in our economy, risk seemed to be less than it really was. And that was taking a lot of the traditional risk management activity that banks were involved in in commercial lending and and pushing it into the capital markets, which were under-evaluating the risk because the Fed was creating this, uh, this bubble in the whole economy. And at the same time, the regulators uh, put a lot of focus on the in the capital ratios to motivate banks to hold residential real estate because of the affordable housing programs, so that a bank had to hold one-half the amount of capital for a subprime mortgage than it needed for a loan to Exxon. And, of course, that created huge incentives. The same kind of thing, by the way, happened in Europe, where the European banks didn't have to have any capital for sovereign risk, which created a massive incentive for them to make a lot of loans to countries like Greece and Spain, uh, which are creating big problems for the European economy. But that was incented by government regulations on the capital requirements of banks.
0: Include the United States in that list of countries that banking regulators are strongly encouraging banks to hold debt from
1: Well that's absolutely true and what the way the Fed's implementing its policy of course banks have to have no capital for the debt of the US government so that creates competition between government debt and private debt obviously and and makes it less likely that banks will make private loans because they can make loans to the government at, at without any uh, capital requirements. And that was particularly pervasive in regards to Freddie and Fannie's debt, which banks uh, had to have a token amount of capital for. So it was quite easy for Freddie and, and Fannie to to, uh, to get financing in the capital markets using the banking and other industry because you didn't have to have any capital to make loans to Freddie Mac and Fannie Mudd.
0: And there was an implicit promise that uh, if anything went wrong, the feds would Swoop into the rescue?
1: No question. The 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 debt of Freddie and Fannie was implicitly guaranteed by the U.S. government, and in fact. This is, in my view, is the one area where they actually had to bail somebody out because they had this implicit guarantee. And I think the global markets would have said if the U.S. defaults on its guarantee, then it's going to default on its, its primary debt and the whole economic system would have collapsed. So that's the, they should have never had the guarantee. Freddie and Fannie should have never even existed. But once they put that guarantee out there, they probably had to act on that.
0: The federal government bailed out non-financial institutions. And in doing so, they have essentially set a precedent
1: and they've set a very dangerous precedent uh where in the world the federal reserve got the authority to basically bail out automobile companies and general electric is kind of a, a, an amazing thing i think people don't understand the long-term consequences when the government does a bailout and i think a really clear example of that is what happened with chrysler chrysler failed in the, in the late 1970s was bailed out by jimmy carter it was considered successful till they failed again, and now they're owned by the Italians. It's kind of strangely successful. But people don't think about the opportunity costs with the Chrysler bailout, and this is what people miss. If Chrysler had been allowed to fail, their manufacturing plants wouldn't, wouldn't have gone away, their, their workers wouldn't have gone away, the resources would have simply be, been reallocated. Part of the resources would have gone to Ford, part would have gone to General Motors, making them better companies. Even more important, what lessons did the management, and more important, what lessons did the unions learn from the Chrysler bailout? They learned the government would always bail them out. Therefore, why would the unions be cooperative and move towards a modernization that was necessary to compete in a global economy when they had an implicit government guarantee? equally interesting, and I happen to be involved in this, uh, there was what we would call a private equity effort to buy part of Chrysler. And the goal was to create a U.S.-owned non-union automobile manufacturing company uh, out of what was left of Chrysler. If you look at the genius of the Japanese, a lot of people point to manufacturing technology. That's not so. You can copy manufacturing technology in about 30 days. The genius of the Japanese is having non-union automobile plants. And if we'd had a U.S.-owned non-union automobile company... Uh, the odds are the U.S. automobile industry would be dramatically healthier today, more jobs, better manufacturing jobs in the U.S. So bailing out Chrysler had a significant negative consequence for the U.S. economy, and that's an opportunity cost that people don't see.
0: You call FDIC insurance the sort of background cause of a lot of the financial weakness that has existed in the United States for some time, and. At best, of course, it weakens due diligence by depositors. It puts weak and strong financial institutions on essentially the same footing. And you say that's fundamentally creates this information problem.
1: Yes. FDIC insurance destroys market discipline because the typical depositor doesn't care how strong his financial institution is because he's got an implicit government guarantee. Uh, We saw that concretely in, in Atlanta where a number of community banks failed. We took over one of those community banks. It was a very typical story. It was Ten or twelve guys that were in the motel business, they got together, raised a little capital, leveraged it dramatically by buying certificate of deposits at above market rates. And then they lent that money to their cronies in the hotel business, who then went broke, and the FDIC lost 50 cents on the dollar. But even more dramatically, large financial institutions, Golden West, IndyMac, Washington Mutual, Countrywide, all large institutions that all failed, financed very high-risk lending businesses, high-risk subprime lending businesses. Using FDIC deposit insurance. Without that insurance, there's no way the capital markets would have given them that much money to make that many bad loans. FDIC insurance is a real destroyer of market discipline. And by the way, there is a private market alternative. We could have a, a co-insurance pool in the banking industry, just like it exists in the insurance industry, and just like it exists uh, in the brokerage business. And and really, it's been crony capitalism from bank community banks and some big banks that have prevented the creation of a private insurance pool that would be much less risky because banks would care about the risk uh, in the pool, whereas government bureaucrats, you can't trust them in tough times, let's face it.
0: You lay out a list of things that, short of getting to the private banking system that that you advocate, are at least steps in that direction uh, that would shore up and, uh, I guess, make more solid the banking system we have now. Uh, Could you lay out some of those?
1: Absolutely. Well, as you said, my number one goal would be private banking. Second would be a gold standard uh, for the Federal Reserve. But if we can't do that, I think there are uh, several steps. First, we should require banks to have substantially more capital than they have today. Uh, because the risk should be with the owners of the bank who would discipline the bank and not the, the taxpayers. However, to make that economically feasible, we, would, we need to radically reduce regulations of the banking industry. And by radically, I mean 95%. Banks simply cannot afford the regulatory cost and the capital that would be appropriate. They can't generate a satisfactory return of cap- a capital. They couldn't stay in business, and we couldn't finance our economy. Thirdly, we need to get rid of FDIC insurance. We need to go to a private insurance pool because that create FDIC insurance creates a huge amount of risk, and a private insurance pool would be easy to design. And then finally, the the, the Federal Reserve can't bail everybody else out. During this financial crisis, they just arbitrarily bailed out all the mutual funds industry who are bank competitors, uh, all the money funds, uh, and the money funds hadn't been paying any insurance since uh, the 1930s. Like the bank, it would be like getting uh, it would be like getting health insurance after you already got sick, and they shouldn't be able to bail out General Electric and General Motors because banks compete with most of those institutions in many arenas. So banks can't have proper level of capital and have the Federal Reserve as a backstop for our competitors.
0: John Allison is the president of the Cato Institute and author of the new book, The Financial Crisis and the Free Market Cure, Why Pure Capitalism is the World Economy's Only Hope. You can get your copy at Amazon.com and Cato.org.